0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Amen. Is God amazing or what? Man, you know, the best place to see this indescribable God, this God that we have no words to describe. The best place to see that is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You got to understand that Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 will say it this way, that he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. We know what God is like by looking at Christ. You want to know about this massive nature of God that hangs the stars in the skies and holds the sun in its place so that it's not too close to burn us up, but not too far to freeze us. We can know that God by looking at Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to come in and worship him together with you today. Are you excited to corporately worship Jesus? Amen. Well, welcome. To Epiphany Church, all of our first-time visitors, if this is your first time here, we are excited that you are here. Uh, I I was coming in when the first-time visitors were waving their hands, so if you could just do me a favor and wave your hand one more time. If this is your first time here, amen. Praise God. Let's thank God once more for our first-time visitors. A couple of things that you should know right off the bat about Epiphany Church. Uh, Number one, we are obsessed with Jesus Uh, We want to sing about him. We want to preach about him. We want to remember him. We do communion every service because we want to remember the work that he did on the cross for us. Uh, But not only that, once we walk out of the doors, we don't hang up our Jesus life, but we want him to be central in all of what we do. So how we do work, how we do relationships, how we spend our money, all is a reflection of what we believe about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, and the second and final thing you should know about our church is that we love the word of God. We're passionate about scriptures. So will not you do me a favor and let's get at it. Grab your Bibles. That was a smooth little segue into getting your Bibles. Get to get to uh, John chapter six for me, if you don't mind. John chapter six. Man, I don't know about y'all, but I'm so excited about that spread love. Y'all have raised three hundred and seventy dollars, three hundred thousand, three hundred and seventy thousand 300, dollars. And, uh, you, you know, that's it's so much I can't even say it. Uh, man. I'm really uh, excited about that because I do realize that all of the resources that you have are God's and you're realizing that. And so you're you're giving based on generosity that God has placed on your heart. And we, we've tried our best to use the motivation for giving here, uh, being that God gave his best, meaning he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And we've used that. We don't use scare t- tactics here. We, we don't believe that. Uh, if you don't give, you are cursed with a curse, and your tires are going to fall off, and we just don't believe that. We we believe that we give because God has given to us, and I think that's the greatest motivation, and so I'm excited about that, and I pray that you guys would continue to give. Uh, Gabe mentioned that we are still in the uh, the capital campaign, which means it runs all the way to uh, December 2021. Is, is that correct, Gabe? December 2021, it runs all the way, so just keep given because all of your resources, they really do help us to sit at the negotiating table with a little bit more Jesus swag than if we didn't have it. So we're grateful for you. All right, John chapter six. Uh, As you guys know, we have taken a detour from the book of Romans. Uh, We told you that uh, we'll, because it's 16 chapters, we didn't want to just run through all 16 chapters. So we would get halfway through the book and then take a break from the book and then jump back in it. And so for the rest of the fall, we will not be in the book of Romans. Uh, we, we ended at the end of chapter seven. So just to give you some direction over our time for the rest of September, we'll be in what's called standalone sermons. So we'll be just preaching just random topics. Uh, and then in October, we are moving into the second week of October. We're going to be in a sermon series on Boundaries. Uh, I just believe that we, you know, we're in desperate need of more boundaries. And I don't mean boundaries as in just time. I mean, spiritual boundaries, emotional boundaries, work boundaries, heart boundaries, relationship boundaries. Do you always have to have people around you to say, I'm always in community. You are running from time alone with just you and the Lord. And so we need to talk about that. We need to see what the scriptures have to say about what the boundaries look like. So stay tuned. October, we will be. Uh, Doing that. But today we're in John chapter six. Why don't you pick me up in verse 60, uh, verse 66. All right, it says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him, meaning Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away, too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. We'll stop right there. I want to preach today from the topic entitled followers versus fans. Followers versus fans. Let's breathe a word of prayer before we dig in. Uh, Father, we, you, you really are indescribable. And we're going to dig into a text today to try to unpack a little bit of your nature, a little bit of who you are. Father, I'm not naive. I I realize that in every church there there's a there, there's a bit of followers and then there's a bit of fans, people who really don't love you for you. They love you for the stuff that you do, the stuff that you give. And as long as you keep giving, we love you. But the moment you take away, the moment you stop, then we are exposed as impostors. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would get out of our heart. Would you expose us today? Would you speak to us today, right out of what you've already spoken? in your word. I pray that I wouldn't add anything to this text and that I wouldn't take anything away from it, but that I would preach exactly what it is in front of us because that's what we need today. So be with us today as Jesus Christ is glorified through this passage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Followers versus fans. Uh, it's it's no secret that I've, I've tried to be honest with you guys as, as much as possible that I love the 80s, that, that the 80s was the, the decade. I was born in 1980 and so I've confessed to you my love for 80s movies, my love for 80s music, I've confessed to you my love for 80s music videos, and I've even confessed to you my love for 80s cartoons. But one of the things I didn't talk to you about growing up in my household in the 80s was my family's love for game shows on TV. There were many game shows when I was growing up that I, I loved. And you know, back then, we didn't have those, these huge flat screen TVs that are mounted to the walls. I don't know if y'all grew up like I grew up. We, we had huge floor model TVs that were extremely heavy. In fact, our TV in our living room was so heavy, it was a big wood TV that it was so heavy that when it broke, we didn't even bother to take it out. It just became part of the living room furniture. Y'all know y'all was ghetto. We put a TV on top. Yeah, that's how we grew up. And, you know, one of the things I loved about watching TV, at least game shows, was the game shows that were on during the 80s. But many of the game shows that I liked during the 80s did not start in the 80s. They started way before the 80s. In fact, I don't know if you know this, out of all of the thousands of game shows that have ever aired, I don't know if you know only six have dominated the the TV, the airwaves for the last six decades. You wouldn't be surprised to, to know this, that These six game shows I'm going to name are the only game shows that have uh, aired a new episode in every decade for the last six decades. Family Feud is on that list. The Price is Right is on that list. Jeopardy is on that list. The Newlywed Game is on that list. Let's Make a Deal is on that list. And, And one of, I think, the most interesting shows, the last one that's on that list is To Tell the Truth. The tell the Truth, you may not know this, uh, this show, this game show, but The Tell the Truth uh, aired its first episode in 1956. It was on CBS that it aired, and although there have been some variations to the rules of the game over the time, the, the, the game has is pretty much goes kind of like this. There's always three contestants, and one of those contestants is the true person. They're all trying to act like the authentic person. And the one guy is, is, is the real guy, and, and then there's two imposters. And the goal is to ask a series of questions to see if the judges can find out who the real person is and separate the real person from the imposters And it's interesting, if you find out who the winner is, it's never the person who is telling the truth. The winner is always the best liar. The the winner is the imposter that could fool the judges and answer all of the questions and seemingly be the real person. And I'd argue that even though this show, To Tell the Truth, first aired on CBS in 1956, it's pilot aired back in Capernaum in John chapter 6. Because it is in John chapter 6 where Jesus is able to identify authentic disciples from imposters. It is in John chapter 6 that Jesus is able to identify followers from merely fans. Let me give a little bit of context in John chapter 6. The reason I say fans is because John chapter 6 starts out with Jesus performing one of the greatest miracles he's ever performed, which is feeding 5,000 people. Bible says that 5,000 people were hungry. Jesus was compassionate. The disciples came to him and said they're hungry. And Jesus says, give them the food, give them some food. They said, where will we go? We don't have enough money. What, the store isn't close. And they find a the little boy that has lunch. He has uh, two fish and five loaves. And Jesus takes that and multiplies. it. And they don't just have enough for 5,000, but enough that is so much food that they have extra food even after feeding the 5,000. And the crowd was so moved by Jesus' miracle to physically sustain them and physically fill their bellies that the next morning when they woke up, they were looking for Jesus. But if you read John chapter 6, the night before, Jesus' boys, the disciples, got in a boat and they went on the Sea of Galilee to the other side and they went to Capernaum. And this is the story where Jesus goes walking across the water. And when the 5,000 woke up, the Bible says that they are looking for Jesus, which is good disciple-like fashion. They're looking for their leader. They're looking for their master. And they're looking so hard that they find out that he crossed to the other side. And then they themselves cross to the other side to follow Jesus. When they find him, Jesus is in the synagogue in Capernaum. The locals in Capernaum will call it Capernaum. Jesus is in the synagogue. But he's not just there. He's preaching. 5,000 people pack into this synagogue, which really shows us that Jesus Baptist Church went from 12 people to 5,000 people overnight. They all pack into this church to hear Jesus preach. And Jesus preaches this sermon called the Bread of Life Sermon. And in this sermon on the Bread of Life Sermon, the crowd didn't want to hear that sermon. The crowd actually wanted more food. They were actually there not, not to hear Jesus teach, not to hear him unpack truth. They were there because Jesus did something for them the day before. And because Jesus did something for them physically the day before, they thought he would do it again. And Jesus does something amazing. He weeds out the crowd. He weeds it out by preaching a hard sermon. And so today we're going to we're going to try to do what Jesus did in John chapter six, verses 66 through 69. We're going to try to weed out the crowd in the room today. And I don't want you to get offended. I want you to be honest. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm really not a devoted follower. I've professed to be. I've, I've acted like I was a devoted follower. But in reality, I just want Jesus stuff. I don't really want him. I want to dig into the passage today because I think the passage will expose that. I have three points. If you want to write these down, I'll say them quickly to get you out of here. Our first point is following Jesus often means not following the crowd. Point number two. Is point number two of the reason why I follow Jesus, because there are no credible alternatives to Jesus. And then finally, point number three of why I follow him. And I think the most important, because he and he alone is the long awaited Messiah. Let's deal with all three. First, following Jesus often means not following the crowd. Look at verse 66. It says from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Picture the scene here in verse 66 where they're all in the synagogue. They're not spread out all over the field. They're all in the synagogue. Jesus is preaching. Half the room gets up, if not more, and walks out. And the question you should be asking is what did Jesus preach that was so hard for people and so not palatable for people that they decided not to just sit there and grumble, but to get up and leave? What message did Jesus preach that had people upset The message that he preached went something like this, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And people literally got offended by Jesus saying that because they thought that Jesus was saying, you physically have to eat of my flesh and physically drink my blood, not knowing Jesus was using this as a symbol of the cross. Jesus was saying, unless you believe in the the, the flesh being torn on my body, unless you believe in... The, the blood that was shed for you, if you don't believe in those things, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And it's good that the 12 disciples didn't follow the crowd because the 12 stayed. But the Bible says everybody else deserted Jesus because the crowd often isn't going the same direction that Jesus is going you got to understand something about Jesus. Jesus often knew this. There were plenty of times you should do a devotional on what Jesus did when crowds came around. There's two things he always did. Every time there was a crowd around, Jesus always preached a message. Always. Sometimes he would get in a boat and he would launch out onto the shore that he could use the boat as a pulpit and he would preach a message. But the second thing he did was he often thinned out the crowd by preaching either hard sayings or preaching in parables. Okay, y'all remember Luke chapter eight where he says to the disciples in verse number 10, he says to you, it's been given the secrets of the kingdom, but to others parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Wait, wait, you, Jesus, you have a crowd and you intentionally want them to be confused. Jesus like, yeah, because some of them are imposters. And I want the real followers to follow me. I do not want imposters yeah. following me. And so Jesus often thins out the crowd. And, and the reason he does that is because the crowd often isn't going where he's going. And to hear me, the culture we live in, the crowd isn't often going where Jesus is going. Nope. And let me, let me get, come down your street a little bit. Your friends may not always be going where Jesus is going. Your family members may not be going where Jesus is going. Let me go a little bit deeper. Your DNA partner may not be going where Jesus is going. And it's always important to check the crowd around you because your friends have influence over you. I don't care how hard you say they don't. They absolutely do. In fact, Colossians chapter two will say it this way. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits, of the world, not according to Christ. If you are not careful, the crowd will move your heart from following Jesus to following something else. And don't let them turn you away. Now, now, see, when I'm talking about turning away, most of you in this room are thinking about pagans. You're thinking about non-believers. You're thinking about people that don't love Jesus. But if I understand this passage right, the people that deserted Jesus were religious people. The people that deserted Jesus were church folk. How do I know? Because the Bible says that they watched Jesus perform the miracle. How do I know because the Bible says that they, in good disciple-like fashion, looked for Jesus? And after that, they followed Jesus. And when they followed him, they got into a synagogue and listened to him preach, but they didn't, they were not there because they were genuinely in love with Jesus. They were there to get more food. And the crowd often—you think it's people. You you think I gotta stay away from non-believers, but Jesus, like, now the religious people are just as infective. That the, the, the people—and this is why I don't put a lot of stock, stock in those who come to church and think that you're spiritual just because you came to church. Because the reality is, you can come to church and not know Jesus. Yeah. You can lift your hands and not know. You can say you are indescribable and go out and you have no love for Jesus. Why? Because the crowd will pull your heart from Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing is he, he he's going to weed out the crowd. Verse 59 says that they all get in the synagogue and he preaches a message that's so So uh, uh, convicting to some people that some of them left out and some of them stayed. And what he's doing is he's taking the ones that have disguised themselves as genuine followers and saying they're not real followers. This is good. This is good for us. And we look at Jesus and we often we often frown upon these moments like any anybody that studies church growth would say what Jesus is doing is anticlimactic. Why in the world would you want to thin out the crowd? Don't you want a larger church? Don't you want more people? Don't you want. But at the end of the day, do you want more people that don't follow Jesus? Or do you want a a, a crew, a solid community that loves Jesus? That's what I'm bought into. And hear me, Epiphany Church. I'm not interested in pastoring imposters. I'm interested in pastoring people that love Jesus. And the only way you love Jesus, not by profession, but by life, By, by really giving your life to Jesus. So don't allow. Imposters to take your heart and discourage you don't allow people to, to sway you is there anybody in this room that says I, I, I am solid in Jesus I'm not going to be swayed by the crowd and the reality is the crowd might not be a lot of people it might be one person your crowd might be you might be dating your crowd you, you might be best friends with the one that's influencing you. The one that is pulling you away from Jesus. But we need to have we need to have a bunch of blood bought believers in this room that will say what Paul says to live his Christ and to die his gain. That no matter what the crowd does, I will not follow the crowd. No, I don't care who don't come. I'm going because I need community. I don't care who don't show up. I'm going because I need the gospel to impact my life. I don't care who is hiding their sin. I need to go and be vulnerable and be honest because I need the body. I don't need imposters. And so I'm sticking with Jesus. But let me be honest with you. Following Jesus, I'm going to be 100 this morning. Following Jesus ain't always easy. Can we be honest? Can I can somebody that's walked with Jesus for a while be honest that following Jesus sometimes is confusing? And the reason it's confusing is because Jesus often he says, follow me. It doesn't tell you the destination. He says, follow me. And he makes turns that I don't agree with. He, he says, follow me. And he stays on too long and I'm going to take the off ramp. And so following Jesus ain't always easy. Now, there was one point in time in my family that we had two cars and. There were some times that we had to, Ty and I both had to drive both cars. And I hated it when Ty knew the destination because that means I had to follow her. And then, let me tell you something about following Ty. I knew that meant going above the speed limit. I knew that meant cutting in and out of cars. I knew at least once I was going to see her hand out the window telling somebody off. I might have seen her flick somebody off one time, but I'm not sure. So I can't be honest about that. I knew that meant last minute decisions of taking the off ramp when I had to squeeze over from one lane all the way six lanes to get to the other. Am I preaching today? (laughs) Because following Ty is frustrating. But real maturing believers, (laughs) maturing believers know that following Jesus often is frustrating because what Jesus does is he he never says that's the destination. Because if he tells you the destination, you'll go ahead of him. So all he does is say, follow me. Just keep following me. And he makes a turn. And I'm like, God, I don't want to go down that street. But he's like, follow me. And so following Jesus isn't easy. But how many know that it's worth it not to desert Jesus? It's worth it to stay the course because Jesus has something that nobody else has. And so Jesus does something here after the crowd leaves. Jesus, asks a question. He looks at the disciples that stayed, the 12 that stayed in verse 67. Jesus says to the 12, you don't want to go away, too, do you? Jesus turns his attention from the crowd that's leaving the synagogue. Don't miss it. They are not in the field. They're in a building. Can you imagine half this room leaving right now and 12 of you stay like this? is why this is why Jesus is such a good preacher. That's why Jesus, why you got to study Jesus. He's such a, if you public, if you're a public speaker, study how Jesus publicly, uh, how he speaks in public. Because one of the things I know about Jesus is even though most of the room leaves, he's not distracted. One of y'all jokers go to the bathroom. I'm all messed up. Somebody walk in that door. I'm all confused. And Garmin go to the bathroom two or three times during the sermon. I'm all confused when I see people walking. Jesus is preaching. Most of the room leaves. 12 people stay in. Jesus is such a good pastor because he's not concerned about the lead, the ones leaving. He looks at the 12 and says, I'm a pastor you. Do you want to leave? Do you want to go as well? And when I, I, this begs me, uh, I often uh, say this, but it begs me to say it again, that whenever Jesus asks a question, it's always rhetorical. Jesus in verse 67 is not looking for an answer. He knows the answer. Whenever Jesus asks questions, he's not trying to get information. He's trying to give information. So he says to the 12, do you want to leave as well? In other words, I know y'all ain't got nowhere to go. That's what Jesus is trying to expose to them. And apparently Peter got it. Peter understood it. And what, what Peter understood is that there are or no second point. There are no credible alternatives to Jesus. How do I know that? Because look at what Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? Like what a good response by Peter. But Peter does something that my parents taught me to never do. Never answer a question with a question. And so Jesus says, are you going to leave? And, and Peter is like, JC, where are we going? Who, who, like, who, who will take us in? Who, who can give us what you give us? That's the question on the table that you should be asking. If you don't follow Jesus, where will you go? If you don't follow Jesus, where will you devote your time? You know, earlier this week, I was writing in my journal and and I got stuck at this question that's in verse 68. Where will we go? And I wrote down a list of places that I would devote my time to if I wasn't following Jesus. I wrote a list down in my journal of places that I would bow my knee to and worship. I wrote a list down in my journal of places that stand par to par with Jesus, that can give me what Jesus gave me. And I wanted to share that list with you today. And here's that list. There ain't a place you can go to find an alternative to Jesus. Yeah. That I've lived long enough and I've tried enough stuff to realize can't nobody do you. Like Jesus. Can't nobody sustain you like Jesus. Can't nobody give life to you like Jesus. And Peter understood. He said, where are we going? Like to whom will we go? The, the old song used, to, the, the old saints used to sing this song, without Christ, I'd be nothing. Without Christ, I would fail. Without Christ, I'd be drifting. I'd be like a ship without a sail. I don't know about you, but if I did not have Jesus as the Lord and master of my life, I'd be a hot mess. If I did not have Jesus as the Lord and master of my life, I'd be trifling. Can anybody be honest that you would be depressed? That situation would be unbearable. You wouldn't be able to cope through life. You wouldn't make it one day. Is anybody that in love with Jesus that you can't imagine a second without him? If you don't understand that, how do I know? Because he says, to whom will we go? Underneath of Peter's Question to whom will we go is the reality that if you're not following Jesus, you're following something because he doesn't say here if we will go somewhere. He's confident that if I'm not following you, I'm following something else. Yeah. Here's the question on the table. Who are you following? Who, who has your heart? Who, who gets the best you? Not the tired you. Who gets the best you? Who who gets The money that the sacrifice of money who who gives you purpose, who gives you meaning, who do you build your identity after? Most of us build our identity after flossing on social media, but real genuine followers find identity in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's the question that that Peter is asking. He's like, Lord, where will we go? That there, is no, there is no alternative to you. There, there is nobody that can do me like you do me. Buddha can't give me what you gave me. Confucius can't give me what you give me. Muhammad can't give me what you give me. God knows Trump can't give me what you give me. Cardi B can't give me what you give me. Beyonce doesn't give me what you give me. Your boo doesn't give you what Jesus can give you. How do I know? Because Jesus gives you life. I don't know nobody else that can give me life. So Peter is like, listen, I ain't got nowhere to go. You got to understand something about Jesus. Jesus is unique. He's he's different than anybody else. You you won't meet another person. I don't care how good they are. You will not meet another person like Jesus because he is unique. Can I do the wobble or the electric slide really quick (laughs) through some scriptures to show you how unique Jesus is? Write these down. Mark chapter 12, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 12. After Jesus heals a paralyzed man, the crowd says, We have never seen anything like this. Why? Because he's unique. Mark chapter four, verse 41. After Jesus calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples say, who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? John chapter seven, verse 46. The officers came to arrest Jesus, but they come back empty handed. And I love this. Their excuse is no one ever spoke like him. Acts chapter four, verse number 12. Peter proclaims there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved. Jesus. First Timothy, chapter two, verse five. I can keep going. First Timothy, chapter two, verse five. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. To whom will you go? Why? Why are we asking this question? Because there are no legit alternatives with Jesus. And that's why I'm sticking with them. I'll be part of the 12 and not desert Jesus because he's unique, because he is different, because I ain't ever met anybody like him. So so Peter first says in verse 68, Lord, to whom will we go? But then he gives us another reason why we should stick with Jesus. Another reason why there's no alternative. You have the words of eternal life. Oftentimes we think eternal life is some future in heaven. But do you know if you've trusted in Jesus, eternal life started for you now? Like you have eternal life now. And Jesus describes what eternal life is in John chapter 17. He says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only God and your son, Jesus Christ. So for Jesus, eternal life wasn't some futuristic. For Jesus, eternal life was knowing God through Jesus. In other words, for Jesus... Eternal life is personal. It's, it's, it's experiential. It's, it's not getting information about God, but getting God. Yeah. So, so Jesus says here, listen, if you really want to know what eternal life is, it's, it's knowing God and it's knowing God through Jesus Christ. He says, where will we go? You not just you have the words of eternal life, but you only have the words of eternal life. See, that's the reason there are no alternatives to Jesus, because there is no other message preached. Don't miss this. There is no other message preached that actually can save a dead heart. There is no other message preached that can save your souls. There is no other message preached that can move the blind, the scales from your blinded eyes. Jesus and Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. He speaks to my dead situation. So point one. Following Jesus often means not following the crowd. Point number two, I slipped it in. There are no credible alternatives to Jesus. Why? Because where will we go? And he has the words of eternal life. Point number three, and I I would argue that this is the most important point of why you should follow Jesus. Because he alone is the long awaited Messiah. In other words, he is fully man and fully God. How do I know that? Look at the text with me. I I haven't lost y'all, have I? Verse 69. Peter's still talking. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter basically is saying you are the Messiah. And what I love about Peter, Peter is always, I told y'all, he's always the one that's going to talk. He's always the one that's going to speak up on behalf of everybody else. Acts chapter two, you need somebody to, to, to preach and three thousand people be at it. Peter's going to do it. You, you need somebody to cut somebody's ear off. Peter's going to do it. You need somebody to cuss somebody out? Peter's going to do it. And so what Peter shows us here is I'm sticking to my reputation. My reputation precedes me. And so I'm going to speak. We believe and we know. Know what? That you're the Messiah. You are the Holy One of God. And we know that he's talking about Christ's divinity here. And what's interesting is verse 70, Jesus doesn't rebuke him and say, "I'm I'm not the Son of God. I'm not the Holy One of God. And Peter often talked like this. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples one time, he said, let me ask you something. Who do people say I am? And they they apparently believed in reincarnation. They're like, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, some say Jeremiah. He says, but who do you say I am? Who speaks up? Peter. Peter speaks up and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the, the son of the living God, Jesus. See, Peter didn't just profess it. He lived like he believed it. Do you believe, can we have this same confession that Jesus is the Holy One of God? And if so, do you live like it? Peter lived like it so much he was willing to die. And do you know history shows us that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't, con- he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same death of his Savior. So he said, put me on a cross, but turn it upside down. And this is the, he believed, so. and people will die. They, they might die for. Something they believe to be a lie, but they will not die for something they know is a lie. Peter must have really believed that Jesus Christ was the Holy One of God because he was willing to die upside down on a cross. And this, this question he asks is a corporate question. He does not say, I believe. He says, we believe and we know that you do as Epiphany Church. Can that collectively be said of us? Do we believe and do we know? That he is the Holy One of God. And we can't answer that collectively unless you're able to answer it individually. Do you believe and do you know that Jesus is the Holy One of God? And if the answer is yes, do you live like it? Do you follow? Do, do Do you trust him even when he makes decisions that you don't agree with? Don't act like you agree with every decision Jesus has ever made. He ever made a decision. You're like, God, I ain't doing that. I ain't going down that road. That's that's filled with suffering and heartache. And Jesus is like, I know. Follow me. He takes us down those roads. And do you believe and you know, see, if you believe and you know, that he is the Holy One of God, you'll follow him everywhere. You'll give your life. You'll give your resources. You'll give your time. You'll tell other people you'll gather other people to the uh, to the global body, the universal body by sharing the gospel. But some of you have been shared in gospel. Do you believe and know? Do you believe and know that he is the Holy One of God, that he is the Messiah? He is the, the, the all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king, that he is the sufficient sacrifice for your sins. Do you believe it? And do you know it? All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox here because we preach this every week, but here's my here's what fears me. is that Every week you come in, you hear it, and you walk out, and you do nothing with it. You don't live under the lordship of Jesus. I'll end by saying this. It's so interesting to me that... The crowd in verse 66 leaves. They they desert Jesus. But it's so interesting that when Peter finally speaks up, the first word he says is Lord. In other words, master, controller of my life. He was solid in his faith. Are we solid in our faith? Some, Some of you came in today. And reality is God has made a turn that you don't agree with. Or God has stayed on. And you're trying to make the turn. Many of you in here are struggling trying to follow Jesus. You're you're struggling and life has hit you in such a way that the cares of life is trying to pluck out the words of Jesus Christ. But I came in to say, hold on, keep following, keep saying, Lord, what's next? What is the direction? Give me clarity. Don't give me the destination because I know I'll leave you. I know me. I know me. I will. I will leave. I will leave Jesus like I would have left Ty if I knew the destination. I would have left her on I-95 and been at the destination because I can't do all the crazy driving. And some of us can't do all the the chaos that Jesus intentionally brings to sanctify you. You think he sanctifies you through just preaching, though he sanctifies you through the wrong turns. He he sanctifies you through taking you through detours. He, he sanctifies you by taking you through the construction sites and you get nails in your tire. And, and Jesus is always there going, I know this seems rough, but this is the way. Some of you have lost your way. Here's who I, who, I, who I really came to preach to today. Two types of people. I came to preach to the one that's struggling following Jesus. It's been difficult. But I also came to the one that has never followed him. Because there are some of you in here that you've believed That There is an alternative to Jesus But hear me and hear me well I've walked with Jesus for a while And the reason I preach him And him alone because I haven't found a better alternative If there was I would have preached it But there is nobody Like Jesus You gotta understand something and I'm gonna end here But the scriptures see Jesus You don't get Christianity without Christ Christ is Christianity Christianity is Christ You remove the cross we don't have Christianity you remove Jesus. He's the pinnacle of our faith. But not only that, he's the pinnacle of scriptures. See, There's a reason why you come in here every single week and you hear about Jesus. Why? Because the Old Testament points to this thing that's coming. Jesus steps on the scene and Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and we get to see the life of Jesus. And then the rest, he dies. And the rest of the Old Testament points back to what happened. He's the pinnacle of scripture. And is he the pinnacle of your life? Every head bowed and every eye closed. All of us are on the altar today because I believe that the exposing of imposters and is one that you need to wrestle with. I really want the ones that have professed that they have trusted in Jesus. I don't care if you've been baptized. I don't care if you've taken communion. I don't care. I want that person to think, am I really living up to the profession? Am I really following them? Have I really devoted my life to them? Or is he just the thing that I tack on to my life? Is he just the thing I do on Sunday mornings? Is he just the thing that I say I believe because my mother believed? Or can I be like Peter in verse 68 and say, Lord, master, ruler, leader. Father, I pray for everybody in this room today. Father, before we take communion... We get our hearts before you. Father, they say confession is good for the soul. But if we ask everybody to get up and grab a mic and confess their lack of following Jesus, it would be good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. <laughs> because the real realization, Lord, is that many of us in this room are better at professing you than living for you. Yeah. But we're better at Saying we follow you than actually following you through the hard stuff. So, Father, would you expose in our hearts those of us that are, that are on the game show to tell the truth. Expose in our hearts to those of us that are really not genuinely devoted to you. We're devoted to the food that you give us and, and the money that you put in our bank accounts, and the clothes that you put on our back, but we're not devoted to you. Father, if we put something else before you, would you take it away? See, Lord, I, I, I know some of us don't want to pray that, but if money is before you, take it away. If that relationship is stopping us from following you. Take it away. If the crowd is detouring us to go another direction, take it away. Because at the end of the day, I would be rather, I would rather be left alone with you than left alone with a bunch of imposters that say they follow you, but don't really follow you. Father, I pray that you would breed spiritual maturity in this room. Only mature believers, only mature believers can grow in following you. So, Father, would you teach us as you graciously taught the disciples, as you graciously graciously turned your Gaze from the people walking out the door to the one staying. Lord, we're staying and we're saying, Father, we're following you. Help us, show us, teach us. Pray that today would mark the day that we got back on track with you. That we got off the detour, isolated, but we got back on following you. We trust you, Lord, and we believe you. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen.